Brother AJ, bless away. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, as he said, I'm AJ. I'm a student over at Central Baptist College. And while I was thinking about what to say this morning, uh, I kind of wanted to start out with a little bit of my testimony and how I got to CBC. And I'm going to try to talk a little bit about the school itself. So I'm from Chicago and not really from a very church-going family. I had a couple like distant relatives that went regularly, a few friends that went. But uh, I got connected with a church called Jacob's Well up in Chicago. And it's a BMA church. Their head pastor is Rob Hager. And him and his family really poured into my life through a lot of really difficult years. My parents got divorced when I was really little. We kind of lived in a rough area. Uh, after I had moved out, I was bouncing from house to house, job to job. Uh, kind of became an alcoholic, and a lot of my friends were addicted to all sorts of things. And while I was working, just washing cars, really, I decided I was going to try to sober up and do something with my life. I thought I might as well try to go to school. And my pastor was thrilled that I was finally starting to take those kind of steps. And he got me plugged in with uh, the choir director down at CBC, Mr. Jim Turner. And I went and did an audition for him. And he's like, AJ, you have a, a wonderful bass voice. I want you to come down here and sing in my choir. So a little bit of time goes by. I'm cleaned up. I've uh, been sober three years now. So that's exciting. <laughs> uh, but I had quit my job and told my landlord I was going to be moving out before I really knew I would have enough money to afford college. And that week I was at work and I got a call from someone at the church and they said, hey, I need you to be there this Sunday. You're going to play in our worship band and we have a special going on afterward. I said, well, I, I don't know if I can make it. I don't know if I'll be up in time. And they said, why? I said, well, I've already abandoned my apartment and quit my job hoping I could go to school, but I haven't heard back on a scholarship I need. So I might just be sleeping in my car for a couple days before I figure out what I'm going to do next. And uh, the next day, I actually ended up getting an email saying that scholarship went through and I just never got the letter for it. So it's really amazing how you can think you're in just an awful, terrible place and God's been working in the background the whole time and you just didn't know it. And after getting to CBC, it really, really turned my life around. Uh, having good Christian people around me while I was trying to overcome being an alcoholic and being sober for the first time in years. Uh, but even the teachers, like you'd think you're just going to school, they're there to collect a paycheck. But the teachers at CBC really care about all the students there. I've gotten really close with my voice professor to the point where if she finds out I'm not going home for a holiday, she'll make sure to carve out some time and come spend some time with me, bring me a home-cooked meal on Easter or Christmas, and it's just fantastic. And my choir director, Jim Turner, I can't say enough about him. He's one of the most incredible people I know. Uh, this past year, I had a relative pass away, and he offered to drive me halfway back to Chicago to meet up with someone else I could catch a ride with the rest of the way while I was having some car trouble. And just not many people would do that. Uh, the CBC really has a different atmosphere about it. So many people are there really to both learn and to seek God. And I think that's what makes CBC really special. It's part of what we call the CBC experience. 
Uh, I'm sure Brother Duffy could do a better job talking about all that than I could. But uh, while I was thinking about what to do for this, um, part of the CBC Singers, a traveling group that goes to churches like you and uh, will sing, but some of those songs sit a bit high for what I'm used to singing. So I thought I was going to try to sing uh, a song a cappella. And forgive me, i got to pull up the words on my phone real quick. So if you know it, please sing along with me and help me out with this. Uh, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. <clears throat> Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing Tune my heart to sing Thy grace Streams of mercy never ceasing Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet Sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the mount I'm fixed upon it, Mount of God's redeeming love. Here I raise my Ebenezer, Hither by thy help I've come. And I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive at home. Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God he to rescue me from danger bought me with his precious blood oh to grace how great a debtor daily i'm constrained to be let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Thank you for letting me come up here. And now I'm going to turn things over to Brother Duffy Guyton. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Wasn't that a blessing? like this uh, all the time, and uh, that's what makes it a blessing in our lives to get, get to spend with uh, young men like him, uh, and because God's doing great things in this generation, amen? amen. But Brother AJ and I, we're going to present, we'd like to present this to uh, the church. This is called the Church Relations Legacy Award. What that means is, is that without your support, 
We really believe that without your support, we cannot continue to do what God's called us to do at Central Baptist College. And uh, we want to simply give this to you. Pastor, oh, okay. Hello. All right. <laughs> Testing. All right, so come on up. Am I too hot there? I need to... No, Brother Derek gave us, oh. he, he blessed us with a new music yeah. <laughs> Actually, you zoom in. So you turn it down? Or? No, you're fine. Okay. I'm going to turn this on real you can tell I have no idea uh, what uh, about Mike stuff. But brother, uh, brother uh, Derek, this is the Church Relations Legacy Award, and it reads as presented in recognition of your faithful love and support for Central Baptist College for over 12 years of consistent generosity. You have given on a consistent basis for 13 consistent years. There's been a time where probably consistently you have not given, but you have given for total a total years of over 40 years amen thank you for that uh, we are indebted to you we are blessed by you and uh, we simply just want to say thank you to you and Denver Street Missionary Baptist Church amen love you thank, thank you, you. well today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 2 Corinthians Chapter 6. The title is simply, The Gospel is Worth It No Matter the Circumstance. The Gospel is Worth It No Matter the Circumstance. We're going to see the Apostle Paul unfold here in 2 Corinthians. This is his second letter to the church of Corinth. And he's going to be unfolding and kind of unfolding his life regarding some things that have gone on in his life. And he's going to be teaching the church through his personal experience. A little background and backdrop of, of this, very briefly, is I've been in 2 Corinthians for months now. A long time. Am I a slow reader? Probably not. This summer, I had the opportunity to be the director of church relations. I love, been in ministry for 30 years, pastoring and, and been in seminary ministry for 20 of those years and, and been in local church ministry for, for 30 years as well. So I love lo the local church, love pastors, love our leaders in our churches. But the Lord also blessed me. I had the opportunity to play professional baseball with St. Louis Cardinals uh, scouted 10 years for the Kansas City Royals um, and uh, coached in college baseball. I was a pitching coach at Dallas Baptist University. And then the Lord called me out of that, went into ministry. Had no clue the Lord would call me back into college coaching. Had no desire. Was loving what I was doing. Got a call. Uh, two of my sons already were going to CBC and got a call that... Um, and I was pastoring a church there in the Memphis area and I got a call from our president, Terry Kimbrough, and our head baseball coach and said, would you, come, would you think about being, uh, praying about being a, the pitching coach and the director of church relations? Boy, that's a job title, isn't it? You know, I kept, I kept preaching probably every Sunday, Brother Derek, I would say, and I had to ask my wife, do I say this a lot? And she said, oh yeah, you say it a lot. And I, this is what I would end our services on. We've got to continue to fight for the souls of this generation. 
That was just burning on my heart. And I kept saying that and praying that. Oh God, may we continue to fight for the souls of this younger generation, really having no desire that He was moving us from Memphis to Conway. And so we've been there at Central Baptist College. I work directly for our president. And yes, we just got off the field yesterday winning 9-1 to against a, a, a school from St. Louis, Harris-Stowe University. And, um, but what I, what I was praying, the backdrop of this, is I got to see some student athletes and some students not handle COVID very well kind of in, a, in their alone time. Even though we had things set up for them on campus, they were um, on campus and off campus. We had everything set up for them as well. But we saw, and we were spending three hours, four hours a day, especially with the ball players, and, I, and we, uh, we did not open our homes up because uh, our regulations were, our guidelines were, and even our conference, if we'd been exposed, we would shut down our playing for two weeks. And so we would always have students and student athletes over, discipling, Bible studies, and none of that really existed last year. And I got to hear call after call from parents, and I got to see one of our top pitchers mentally break down, never seen this in my days of baseball, mentally break down on uh, the baseball field and, uh, and just kind of just didn't know what to do. And that summer, I just kept crying out to God. I said, God, I said, and I made it personal. I said, Lord, you've put me in the trenches with this generation, with the platform of baseball, to teach them and to model Christ in front of them. I'm not used to it. I haven't done that in 30 years. I've been behind a pulpit and ministering and shepherding and pastoring churches. So Lord, this is a little different. But I know that You've called me to pass the shepherd this generation and the ones that You've allowed me to be in front of and to be with. I feel like I'm failing at this, God. I saw student after student go through depression and, and having suicidal tendencies because of what was going on, thinking that that they were handling it, but they probably weren't. And so, through my chronological Bible story, uh, Bible uh, study, I landed on 2 Corinthians. I said, okay, Lord. So I started just studying and spending hours in 2 Corinthians, back and forth, back and forth. And the Lord just refreshed my heart through 2 Corinthians. So I'd like to uh, open that word up to you today and in, in chapter 6. And let's begin to read chapter 6, starting with verse 4. And we'll make the introduction a little bit in just a minute. But uh, let's go ahead and begin with verse 1, because I believe we need to start with verse 1, but we're going to focus on, on 4 through 10. Apostle Paul writing to the church of Corinth in his second letter, working together with him... Then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain, for he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. He's quoting Isaiah there. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's simply saying the gospel is urgent. In verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. Literally, we shape ourselves, and, and that's His passion, isn't it? 
in every way by and through great endurance, inflictions and hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness by the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and through dishonor, through slander and through praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold, we live as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything." Let's pray. Father, we ask for Your wisdom and knowledge. Father, speak through us, to us through Your Word, O God. Father, connect us to, uh, to Your heartbeat, and that's Your eternal Word. Lord, thank You for Your Word. It's living. It's breathing. Father, we are in dire need of Your Word in every aspect of our lives. And Father, thank You for this church. What a blessing they have been to us for so many years. And thank You for the blessing they have been to us today. So Father, we simply ask for Your will and Your way this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, when Paul writes the first letter to the church in Corinth, there were divisions in the church, there was incest in the church, there was rampant immorality, and there was literally just gospel confusion. No one really understood what the gospel, really the true gospel of Christ was all about. A little time later, Paul writes his second letter, and this was purposeful again. In his second letter, he wrote, they have been overtaken and deceived by false teachers. They were being turned against Paul, but more importantly, they were, turned, they were being turned against the gospel. And so there are many, where you read in 2 Corinthians, you're reading where he is, he is sort of having to defend himself and really defend the reputation of the gospel. But you notice in chapter 6, what does he share there with the church there? Working together with him, with Christ. Not working for Christ, but working with Christ. What an honor it is. Do you believe and are we grateful that God allows us to be a part of the work that He's doing? Isn't that great? Have we been thankful for that and said, Lord, thank You for allowing us to be a part of what, we, that what You are doing. There are so many times, oh God, that I, that I feel unworthy of doing this or that. But Lord, You Consider us worthy because of your death, burial, and resurrection. Thank you, O oh God, for giving us wisdom and knowledge through that. And that's, Paul was just imparting to them some, some, uh, some personal things. And he was really saying the gospel is designed to include believers to serve alongside the Lord. Have you ever noticed when, he, when Paul had to share something pretty serious? He didn't wag his finger and say, I, I, I. <laughs> He's taken them straight to where? Christ. Straight to Christ. Christ is the answer for all. You know, it's this, old, this old boy, I've, it's been a wake-up call. God was doing great things in our church there in the outside of Memphis area, the Millington area. And we were doing unbelievable ministry for the Lord. I mean, God was really, it was one of those wild times. 
But now I'm in the trenches with this generation on a day-to-day basis. I get to see what this generation really goes through and the temptations. And, and, and I get to see just what they have to deal with. We live on property or on campus property. We have um, homes that are off the major campus, but we still own that property. And, and so we're just a block from the campus. And, uh, and there are nights at 10 o'clock at night. Brother Duffy, can I talk with you? Yeah, come on in. Were you asleep? Oh, no. <laughs> and man, we sit up and we talk about life. We talk about what's going on through their life. We talk mainly about this. My mom and dad are lost. I don't know what to do. I'm growing in Christ. But it seems like I'm kind of caretaking them. I'm kind of like their caretaker. And it's just weighing on me. I get more and more and more of that for this younger generation. It seems like they're bearing or carrying the burden. And so we just continue to walk with them. And I simply say, Lord, thank you for allowing us to be where you're at work. I would have never painted this picture. But Lord, thank you that you consider us faithful to put us where you're working in uh, with this generation. F.B. Meyer says, he, wrote, he writes, let there be no thought of what you can do for God, but all thought of what God can do through you. You may have heard about Henry Blackaby. He wrote um, the book or the books of, regarding um, experiencing God. When I was young in the ministry and a young dad, a young husband, I had a chance to hear Henry Blackaby preach and I went through experiencing God a numerous, numerous times. I was a young coach at Dallas Baptist University. I was teaching in our church in the youth department. My, my wife was leading uh, children's music and we thought we were doing what God wanted us to do until I ran across this saying and Henry Blackaby would Uh, would say and wrote, watch to see where God is working and join Him in His work. And I allowed that to be my prayer. Oh God, am I working where You're at work? Or am I working where I want to work? Am I doing Your work where I want the work to be done? Or am I joining where You're at work? That's when the Lord started breaking my heart and I surrendered to local ministry, preaching and proclaiming His Word. I had an excuse though. You know what my excuse was? I said, Lord, I can't speak. I grew up with a speech impediment. I had to uh, be taught by a speech therapist how to speak. And during reading class in, in North Louisiana, in West Monroe, Louisiana, we, in reading time, said, well, Duffy, why don't you go spend time with your special teacher? And boy, I, I thought I was special, you know. And I realized God was using the weak things so He can be strong and glorified. Amen? Now, do I think about that speech impediment every time I speak? Absolutely. My parents were so encouraging. My mother's a retired teacher. All my family is are teachers. And so she would just pat me on the back and say, we love you, we're proud of you. 
and I couldn't hardly mutter a word. In my 10-year high school reunion, I went back and they said, well, Duffy, you never said a word, elementary, middle school, and high school. And I went, really? And said, now we can't keep you quiet. <laughs> I said, oh, that's what Jesus will do for you. And so he's unfolding this, and then he says in chapter and verse 2, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in a day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He's quoting Isaiah 49, 8. Kent Hughes really says it very well. He says, Paul, in effect, is saying that Isaiah's day of salvation has arrived in the reconciliation of the cross. Therefore, the Corinthians must not miss the long-awaited opportunity for salvation at oh, that day. And really, the salvation, is it urgent? Is it urgent in our lives? And we can apply that now. Do we consider the gospel urgent? And then he continues in verse 3, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. He was simply saying we want to do everything we can with integrity, with upright integrity. So therefore, the gospel will not be defamed. Do we think that way in our lives? So now we get to the major part of verses 4 through 10. The gospel is worth it no matter the circumstance. Paul lists 37 characteristics of how he kept his reputation of Christ and the pure gospel at the forefront of what all he did. Well, but you don't know my situation. But you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know what all has gone through in my life. You know, we may not, but God does. God desires for us to forgive. He desires for us to love. He desires for us to continue to live the gospel in front of this, what I call, non-gospel generation now. In every aspect. To live love. To live grace. To live mercy. To live peace. To live patience in front of everyone we come in contact with. And hopefully we're able to proclaim the gospel that Christ is Lord and He's come to save and rescue the lost. Amen? Amen. And all ones have to do is just receive that forgiveness. There are days I go home and we do have some ball players that haven't given their life to the Lord. In five years, we've seen 18 ball players receive, uh, receive uh, the Lord and baptized. Amen? Five of my pitchers I have walked through and officiated their weddings and gone through uh, premarital counseling. I never thought I would be able to do that again after not being a pastor. And I said, Lord, You're doing more than what we can ever imagine in this generation. Do you believe that God's given up on this generation? The answer is no. And never will. God loves this generation. But he lists 30, Paul lists 37 characteristics of how he kept the reputation of Christ and the pure gospel at the forefront. He knew that his ministry, if his ministry was blamed, it would defame the gospel. Do we think that way? Do we think that, that well, you know what? If I say this or that, it's really okay. I'll, you know what? I'll get away with it now. But oh, how it can detour others 
Just by that little word we may say or, or the things we may not even do or the love we may not even portray or, or the unforgiveness that is protruding out of our heart. That's okay. I, that's my right to unforgive. No, it's not. Since God has forgiven us, then we are to forgive others. Amen? We must love like no other in our lives. Is it hard? Absolutely. You notice what Paul starts with, but as servants of God, we commend, literally we shape ourselves in every way by great endurance, patience. Hudson Taylor, one of my favorite missionaries, was served in China for 51 years in the late 1800s and early 1900s. He experienced many who surrendered to Christ, but he also experienced much hurt, pain, and disappointment but he kept serving for 51 years. He shared that there are three indispensable requirements for a missionary. You guessed it. Patience, patience, patience. <laughs> patience. Paul is saying, through much patience, we still kept the Gospel. We did not defame the Gospel. The Apostle Paul uses the word distress or Calamity as describing possible difficult situations to endure. And the term distressing circumstances mean to be in a narrow, non-escaping place resulting in extreme affliction. And it's the same as, as um, if, if a, a building collapsed and you were there surviving, but you had no place to go. And that's that same word. It's sort of suffocating. And Paul said this about those suffocating afflictions that come about us in everyday life. Any type of stressful situation can bring about that, it seems. In 2 Corinthians, he writes in 12.10, Therefore, I take pleasure in affirmities. Means he embraces infirmities and reproaches in necessities and persecutions and distresses for... His sake or Christ's sake? For Christ's sake. It's all for the sake of the Gospel. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And when we're weak, He is at His strongest. Amen? We must live that way in every aspect of our lives. We represent the King of kings. Amen? What an honor that is. And Lord, thank You for allowing us to be at work where You're at work. No matter if it makes sense or not. I didn't tell you the ending of the story. The player that had a mental breakdown on the field in Millington, Tennessee last year at the USA Stadium he only lasted two innings, and I knew something was going on. Uh, we have a lot to do before games, and I love every bit of it. And, and I kind of joke sometimes, that if you really want to be a pitching coach, you need to have a clipboard and a towel. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all didn't get Okay. Uh, you got to do more than just that. Yes, you're right. So we take them through a lot of what we call preparation and pre-training and all of that before they pitch. And and before they even get up on the mound and all that, I could tell something just wasn't right with him that day. But I just kept saying, well, he'll hopefully get it, you know. The head coach looked at me and said, well, how did he do warming up in the pen, in the bullpen? And I, 
And I just said, something I can't put my finger on. I don't know what's going on with him today. That first inning, it was a one, two, three. We got out of it. He didn't look great. He didn't look sharp, but he got out of it. The second inning, the guy uh, bunted. He didn't even see the guy bunt. He thought it hit him, but the guy squared around the bunt. The ball came back about five feet in front of him. The first baseman, everybody, the catcher is hollering, get the ball, get the ball, and he's just standing there paralyzed. The head coach just looks to me. I'm looking at him, at the player. We were in the dugout. I was looking out, and he said, what's wrong? And I said, I think he's going through a mental breakdown. First thing, I've never, ever said that. We run out there. His parents were there from Kansas City. And he just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I've let you down. And I said, no, we've got to get you some help. He was able to walk and, and be with. We have two Christian counselors on staff there at, on campus. He was able to walk with them and be with them on a consistent basis. We got the family involved. Man, I prayed for that dude. I prayed for that dude daily. And I said, oh God, rescue his heart. He doesn't know all the distress and the things that are going on. He has no clue who that he needs to give that to. And I remember daily in the summer, I mean, it was just burdensome. Because I felt like I was failing him, you know? Have you ever been, been, to that, been to that point where you just said, Lord, I can't do any? I don't, I don't know what to do. To make a long story short, man, he has joy. He's given his life to Christ. He's living his life uh, for the Lord. And now, does he take some step back? Absolutely. He's still growing in the Lord. He's not perfect. But these last two days, he pitched a nine complete. That same team that he collapsed on, he shut them down. Hannibal LaGrange University beat them in nine innings. Uh, threw two hits and gave up zero runs. That was a week ago. Yesterday, he just did a second complete game, nine innings, five hits, gave up one run and struck out nine. He came up to me and I said, I was proud of you last week, but I'm proud of you this week. And I just hugged him. Not because he did that in the world's view. Because God is a God of restoration. I really believe that. Not only now, but eternally. And he's restoring souls presently and eternally. And when you get to see that firsthand, when you're physically tired, when you feel like, Lord, I don't have any answers, when you're going through your own stresses and discomforts and, and just trying to get through the day, and then when you say, I've got this, Duffy. You're at work with me. Relax. I'm all about restoration. Then I'm like, Lord, thank You. You're the God of all gods. You are the God of love. You're the God of peace. You love us more than what we could ever imagine or ever think about. Our thought of God is really to this level. He is so vast of love and care and grace and mercy than we could ever imagine. Amen?
And He desires for us to continue to be Christ in front of this generation, like it or not. And boy, am I learning a lesson (laughs) every day. And He continues to list, and we won't go through all of them. There's a lot. There's 37. Did I mention that? It's 37 characteristics. But he's doing it in a way with this church to encouraging them. And he's simply saying, all of these things that have occurred to me, all of these difficult circumstances, nothing overtook the reputation of the Gospel in everything. The Gospel was never put on hold in anything of his life. No matter if he was in prison, no matter if he was going through any type of affliction and great endurance and hardships, the gospel was never put on hold. And it shouldn't be put on hold in our lives. He continues in verse 5, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. We see that in riots and In Acts chapter 19, verse 23, and this was their time in Ephesus as the Apostle Paul spent there three years and great things God was doing in those three-year times. Not only was He there for, for three months there in the synagogue, but then the rest of the time He spent there in the school of Tyrannus, which was the modern day school of philosophy right in the center of Ephesus. And they had a time where he was probably at 10 or 11 o'clock. Places would shut down. It's what, they, what we would normally refer to like a siesta time because of everything being so hot. So he would have that open to him from 11 to maybe 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And he spent there daily reasoning and preaching and teaching the gospel. Obviously, there were believers and obviously there were skeptics there. So he saw great things occur in his three years there. But near the end, it says, now after all these events, Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through... uh, 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 Let me pick it up here. And after that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way or for a man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis. That's the goddess of Diana. That was their goddess, lowercase goddess, of course. She was the goddess of fertility. And there was a, uh, a big shrine right in the, on top of the hill there in Ephesus. And you can see the pillars today if you're to go there. Brought no little... Uh, and, and he was simply saying, men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And he was simply saying, the gospel has detoured this. We're not able to make a living. So therefore a riot occurred. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis, or Artemis or Diana may be counted as nothing. And that she may even be deposed from her magnificence. And so there in the center part, a riot arose. That's what he's alluding to when he's writing all of these characteristics that no matter what they went through, the gospel was still at the forefront 
and protected and defended at all cost. Do we do that as believers? In every aspect of our lives, is the gospel that important to us in every aspect of our lives? When I was reading this and studying this, that's what I was writing in my notes. Oh God, is your precious gospel, does it reflect that in every aspect of my life? When I go through a very stressful situation, I'm probably thinking about me. But God, am I, am I thinking about how, how the gospel is going to be portrayed through my, my, my seriousness? And oh, how serious that can be. We need to align our lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter what. No matter what. I think if we did that, and if we lived in such a way, instead of... of, of of, of cowering down, but living in such a way that the gospel is worth it. And I think that we would see more and more believers, or, or people coming believe in Christ. I think that we would see more changes that would reflect Christ instead of a dark and dying world. And it's simply just being the gospel where God has what? Planted you. Bloom where you're what? Planted. Bloom where you've planted, where God is planting you. Make the best of that. And then he continues in verse 6, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love. And I wrote in, in, uh, in, in one of my devotions that day on, uh, about kindness, when we're experiencing difficulty in any part of our life, does showing genuine kindness to others pop up on our heart radar? It's intriguing to see that the Apostle Paul stated that he had no intention of putting an obstacle in anyone's way as he experienced hardships, but to live out kindness to others. I have learned from dear friends, mentors, and many mature believers from their example of demonstrating kindness as they walk through dire circumstances and the following prevalent marks in their lives. Number one, I've seen that they are not consumed with their reputation. They desire others to be edified no matter what is going on around them or even in their lives. Number three, they desire to live out that type of kindness that they received only from the Lord. And I simply wrote, Oh Lord, please help us to show and live kindness when we're experiencing difficulties in our lives. By sincere love. What is sincere love? What is Paul talking about there? Non-hypocritical love. It's the love that you know is real by the way people are living. They're just not saying, oh, I love you. Oh, yeah. oh you've got my heart. Well, where were you when... Life was turned upside down. Oh, I had my other stuff to do, you know. A non-hypocritical, sincere love is where you're going and loving your neighbor just as yourself and as Christ has loved us. They don't even have to ask, right? Isn't it great when you have friends that don't even have to ask you? They just show up or give you a call or give you a text. There are days when I... I feel like my world's falling apart and I get a text and say, man, I love you. I've been praying for you today. Thank you. Yeah, praise the Lord. 
God does that. That sincere love, non-hypocritical, sincere, and genuine love for Christ and others is a mark of a believer. When we genuinely love Christ, that love is evident in how we love others. Paul simply stated to the Corinthian church that even though he lived with patience through devastating trials, he made a great effort to love others. When we're going through difficulty, do we even think about demonstrating love for others in an undisguised manner? There are people all around us who need to experience the unmasked love of Christ through us. May we love others today no matter what our current situation is. Sounds different, doesn't it? But when we love others, and we could go on and on, we don't have time for that, but I'd love to, maybe someday a brother Derek can take you through the rest, amen? But when we are living the way Christ has designed us to live, those personal situations and stresses and discomforts are going to be real in our lives. And they're going to be painful at times. That's not an excuse for us to stop loving and sharing the grace and kindness and mercy to the people God has us to love. Some may be going through some devastating physical things in your life. You may be walking with a family member that that's just consuming your heart and your mind. Some may be going through other devastation in your life or other family member. And you know what? That's real. And God can just take that and continue to walk with you. And He's the God of what? Comfort. The word comfort in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he's the in, in verse three verses three and four he's the god of comfort that word comfort is where we get the latin word fortis fortis means he fortifies us that god fortifies us in times of trouble but how many times do we really call out to god god i need you today we usually just think about handling it our own selves don't we I'm going to close with this quick story and then Brother Derek will lead in our time of response. Just with time, I won't go through the entire time, but the Lord taught me a lot. It was five years ago we moved here. Never really had any physical ailments that I know of or knew of, but I was burning the candle at both ends. Still doing that. <laughs> Many of us are doing that, aren't we? We don't know when to stop. Especially in the ministry. Pray for your ministers. It's one of the greatest callings ever. But oh, the ministry never ever stops. Sometimes we just don't know the toil and the, what it's taking through our bodies and minds and emotions. <coughs> when we got here, I was excited. I was uh, director of church relations, working in a new position, ministering to our churches and our pastors, and then also right before going through our first uh, our baseball season. I had a, a very good pitcher that was probably going to be uh, the number one draft pick in the nation. And it was just an honor working with him. And, and uh, it was just good. It was great. We had a spiritual retreat with the baseball team. We have 70 players. We have a developmental team and a varsity team. And we were 
four days and four nights of just pouring the gospel into I wasn't feeling very well. I thought I was coming down with the flu. And I said, oh, this is the weirdest flu I've ever had. And I got home, and I, I normally do not take naps. I don't know why. I wish I could, believe me. My wife takes naps. She's like, it's Sunday. I have taken a nap. <laughs> you can stay up if you want to. So I was so tired. I just... Uh, I was resting in all that what God did that weekend. We saw four baseball players surrender to preaching the gospel. Amen. Whew. We saw salvations. It was just amazing. The next day, I said, man, I have got some type of flu. What was happening? My body was shutting down. I've never drank alcohol. I've never done drugs. But my liver was shutting down. And I stayed there for seven days in the house. It was the worst feeling I've ever gone through in my life. And finally, I just said, okay, Dawn, I think uh, I think I got to go to the ER. I go to the ER, and the nurse says, uh, Mr. Guyton, you do not have the flu, but uh, your liver enzymes are off the chart. Uh, you're probably going to have to have a liver transplant tonight. <laughs> I look like a walking highlighter, all right? I thought the Lord was calling me home. Once Wednesday night, they had no answers for me. I mean, it was just a paper that UAMS, and, and I mean, uh, eight doctors in front of me, and I still had no, they had no clue what was going on. They said, surely you're a social drinker. I said, uh, nope, never drank before. And so I was able to share the gospel. I couldn't already speak, but I'm sharing the gospel with that doctor who said I was a social drinker. Sure, because there's no answer why your liver is shutting down. Surely you, when you played professional baseball, you played in the steroid era. Surely you took steroids. I said, no, I didn't take steroids because I didn't know what it would do to my body. <laughs> they couldn't figure out why my body was shutting down. And there was no liver. There was no transplant. So... The doctors were simply saying he's probably going to be dying in front of us. And finally, I said, Dawn, I sit laying there, and it's about 10 o'clock at night. And I said, let's start writing out my funeral. Walked through three, as a pastor, I walked through three families who have gone through liver and kidney transplants. Isn't that amazing how God was kind of walking us through? I mean, we walked with them big time. One was an Indy race car driver who did not, uh, God, he, he was saved, gave him a second chance, he lived for about another year and a half, and then the Lord took him home. But he got saved as he was going to our church, amen? But I got to walk with him all through the pains of going through that. It was unbelievable. Had no clue that God was going to physically take me through that. But all I can remember, is said, Lord, I know why I'd love to see grandchildren I'd love to see my children uh, marry. You know, I'm not thinking all those things, but I said, oh God. Well, Lord, thank you for the opportunity of walking with this lost generation that needs to see Christ in every day. And I said, Lord, I'm going to miss that. <laughs> I said, I know you're going to put somebody else in my place. So they can see Christ on a daily basis and that they will know the true gospel. Well, as you can tell, I've been in remission for five years, and the doctors say that 
So, well, you know, it was caused by environmental issues, whatever that means. They still don't know what caused it. They said, uh, did you eat anything off the floor? I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, do that all the time. Did you eat anything <laughs> off the counter? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. What's the rule? I mean, yeah, but what, what, what do we usually say? One second, two seconds, whatever, you know? Yes, I did it all, all my life. I mean, I grew up in Louisiana. I mean, we did all that. So who knows, but the Lord has extended my life through that. And I go back and I say, well, no matter what we go through physically, emotionally, whatever stress level, it's no excuse, is it, for us to continue to live the gospel. And that's what the Apostle Paul was writing to the church of Corinth there. 37 characteristics of incredible discomforting things that were happening to him or happened to him and he says but it's all for the sake of gospel nothing is an excuse no matter what the gospel is worth it the gospel is worth it no matter the circumstance amen amen let's pray and brother Derek's going to lead us in response time father we thank you for today you're such a great god Lord, it's been great to be with brothers and sisters in Christ who love you and know you and live for you. Father, they live for you with great passion. And Lord, we just pray that you will be honored in this time of, uh, if it's response, a time of praise, whatever that is. We just say, Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Brother Duffy, thank you so much for bringing that message to us. I feel like there was more, and I wish I could have heard it. The gospel is the sweetest message the world has ever known. We have a time of response. This is, I said Brother Duffy's message, I don't think he was able to finish it because we have so much that we're able to celebrate this morning. And uh, everything that comes along with that. As we reflect for a moment, consider, the message is not over. The Holy Spirit continues to minister to us and tell us and convict us of things, even things left out of the message. So I pray that as we stand and sing, that we will continue to let the Holy Spirit minister to us in that way. Will you stand with us? Number 453. <laughs>